This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, we're speaking to you on uh, Sunday afternoon, just after the FA Cup fourth round draw has been made and Albion's name was in it. I have to say, for the vast majority of yesterday, Pete, I didn't think it would be because we were absolutely terrible in large parts. But we'll come to that in just a moment. But let's let's just start off with the news that has just dropped. And if Albion can get past Chesterfield a week on Tuesday, which by no means is a given based on what we saw yesterday, then we will face either Bristol City or Swansea away. Now, I have to say the first thing that I look for in an FA Cup draw at any point is I, I always say please, 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 just not a team in our own division. I mean, it's just, it is such a horribly underwhelming draw, isn't it? Yeah, I think underwhelming is the best word to describe it. You always kind of want a team that you're not, you've not already played in the season and maybe a ground that you don't regularly go to. So yes, you know, a team in the league below, two leagues below, whatever, or even a Premier League team as well. But yeah, Swansea and Bristol City are hardly... uh, games everyone's going to be scheduling to the calendar if we get there that is well let's get into yesterday uh the the game with Chesterfield and look I mean there's not going to be a lot of positives to pick out of this to be honest with you I mean we got largely got dominated by a, a national league team now I know from speaking to to Chesterfield fans and uh, on Twitter over the last sort of like 18 hours or so that they don't really view themselves as a national league team. They, they, they view their squad as a, a league team. And, and I think that, I think the stat, uh, the stat is something absolutely incredible that you, you have, uh, I, I think since 
relegation came into it. I don't think a team coming up from the National League has ever, or, or equivalent, has ever gone straight back down, Pete. So we, we have to respect the National League as these teams are as good as, in fact, uh, in fact, in many cases, better than the teams in League Two or most of the teams in League Two. So to just class them as non-league is probably a touch disrespectful given that they're third in that league. And I think if they were to go up, they would probably be in and in around the bookies favorites to probably go again out of league two. But that being said, I mean, if we played a team in league one, league two or the national league, you'd expect us to beat them, but we didn't just fail to beat them yesterday. We scraped through with a three, three draw and were bested in most areas of the pitch for much of the game. And I think when you look at the reaction from the fans, it is largely negative and understandably so. And there was booing at the, uh, um, uh, at half time. There was booing during the game. And some might say that's a bit harsh when you've won eight of your last nine games in the league. I personally don't think it is that harsh because First of all, most of those players that were out on the pitch yesterday, certainly from the off, were not the players who've won us eight of the last nine games. So that's the first thing to point out. So the achievements of the last nine games do not go into the bank for many of those players. But secondly, I think what we saw yesterday was the kind of off-the-pace, imaginationless, performances at the second half we looked a threat early doors but second half lacked imagination to break down a team that sat fairly deep and made a lot of mistakes we were lazy in certain areas we looked off the pace and I think the the message from the fans with some of the negativity towards the players was that's what we saw under Bruce and under Ishmael for large portions and for that period of the Premier League when we were getting pumped four and five nil every week. And I think the message from the fans was we, we won't accept that. We won't accept that. If you lose games playing the way that we did, that, that we have been recently under Corbran, it's fine. We will accept that. We'll accept a defeat to anybody or a draw with anybody if we perform at that level, if we show that level of energy and commitment to the game. But I felt that yesterday in certain areas of the field, I thought some players were outclassed a little bit and we'll come to that. I felt some players were showed up for how little football they've had, not just this season, but possibly over the last few seasons. And we'll come to that. And I think some players were arrogant and thought they were too good for the game. And we'll come to that. And I think the message from the fans is we're not going to accept that. Yeah, because we didn't, it's not like we put out a, a weak side. It was obviously our second eleven, but apart from Zach Ashworth, we didn't field or have any players on the bench that weren't senior players. Um I mean obviously Taylor Gardner Hickman's still young, but he's definitely a senior player at this point. Zach Ashworth probably not because he's not really made that many appearances for the first team. But yeah, it's a side that should easily be able to to beat and dominate a team that are playing in the National League. Well, look at that um, front when, three of Grady, Grant, and Brandon Thomas Asante with Rogic in behind them. Exactly, and like if you look at that purely on paper, you'd say that's a front three that's well, front four, I guess, of is basically equal to most teams in the championship, let alone the national league. So when you do have players of that quality on the pitch, you 
you'd expect to be able to control the game and create lots of chances. And the reality of it was the opposite, that Chesterfield were the ones doing that. Absolutely. And I mean, look, let, let's come let's come straight to some of the accusations that I've just thrown around there, Pete. I mean, first of all, when I when I talk about arrogant performances, I, I, I've got a couple of players stuck in my mind. Now, one of them won't be a surprise to anybody who follows me on Twitter because I've already mentioned him um, on there that I, I can't believe how negative I feel about a guy who assisted a goal and scored a goal yesterday. But I felt for large parts of that game, Carlin Grant sauntered around that pitch like he was too good to be on it. And he's for me, he's cost us two of the goals. You, If you roll the tape back, he is the one who initially loses the ball for two of the Chesterfield goals. Um, for the, I believe it's for the second and third goals. And then basically walks back, um, which is just wholly unacceptable. So, I mean, first of all, in my mind, you can throw the assist and the goal at me if you want. But for me, at best, he is a net break even because he cost us two goals. I'm just not prepared to accept that from a player. I, I, and I think, I think it's a, I think it's a broader problem with Grant that this is generally people's issue with him that he, we know he is a very, very talented footballer. I mean, he showed that with, with the assist and the goal. Lovely ball in for Brandon Thomas Asante, beautifully picked out. And the finish, whilst he gets a little bit of, a bit of luck the way it goes underneath the goalkeeper. He knows what he's going to do all the way through. It's direct play. He keeps going as he's threaded through by Rogic. And it's it's a really, really good finish. But it's a problem with him that we've highlighted numerous times that he is he's either doing stuff like that or he's not doing anything at all. And I've had a number of people on Twitter come back to me and go, oh, you're highlighting Grant, but you're not highlighting Grady. Right, let me make my feelings on this matter extremely clear. Grady was awful yesterday, absolutely dismal. He, he he just had a game where he never went, never got going. But if you're asking me, did Grady do the bare minimum that you ask of him? Did he chase lost balls? Did he run back when, uh, when, when play broke down? Was he working? Was he trying to get into positions? My answer is yes. Was Grant doing those things? Absolutely not in my opinion. And that's the difference. One had a better game than the other. And Carlin Grant had a better game than Grady Dean Garner yesterday. There's no two ways about that in my mind. Yet, who do I feel worse about today? It's about the guy who I feel didn't work because I feel that's a more inherent problem. Because if Grant is doing that week in, week out, and that's what I feel I'm seeing from Grant on far too regular a basis, that he doesn't put his all into games, that that's a real issue. Whereas if Grady just has a dip in confidence and plays poorly for a period of time, I believe the talent is there and he will come again as long as he keeps working and I never see any drop off in Grady's effort. So I don't necessarily worry when he has a bad game, but Grant just worries me because the, the work rate's not there. Uh, Pete, I'm I'm sort of monologuing here on 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 where where I think the difference is between the two. But as a independent advisor on these sorts of things, do you do you understand the point I'm trying to trying to make? Does it make sense? Definitely, you need. Well, you always need to be working hard for the team, but especially if things aren't particularly going your way, then like the minimum that you can give is just hard work. I know it's a, a cliche, but you know, very true. If, even if things aren't particularly going for you, you're a bit of out, out of form, luck's not on your side. 
you can still work hard and and team uh, defensively and, and making runs both forward and recovery runs. Um, so yeah, I definitely see the point you're making between Grant and Dion Garner in that respect. I think Corbran would have been impressed with the assist for um, the first goal by Grant, taking his man on um, pretty direct and and getting that ball into the box. Great ball and a brilliant finish by Thomas Sante as well. And then he was very direct in his um, in his goal as well, in Grant's goal, uh, running through onto the through ball and, and putting it away. Um, so I think the directness there would have impressed Corbran. But it's a bit of a concern though, because we, we talked off air about game state, and in those in that early period of the game, the game was very open. Chesterfield had struggled to sort of like close the spaces early doors. But at 3-2 to Chesterfield, they really did close those spaces down well. And that's where Grant struggled to get into the game. Will it worry Corbran that whilst Grant can get into a game that's fairly open, when the game is much tighter, he struggles to impact it? Potentially, but it might just also be a case of obviously different players have different strengths and are more suited to different situations. So just using each player in the situations that they're most suited for, if if Grant isn't um, particularly good at finding space in low blocks and helping break and break those down, then or don't use him against teams that are setting up like that. You're better off using him maybe when you've I don't know one or two goals up, and if the opposition are coming onto you and there's a bit more space in behind to to work with, then then maybe it's time to get Grant on and you know give him the chance to exploit the spaces that are left in behind and make the kind of runs that he did yesterday and. And that's when he kind of drifts inside and, and can finish and score. We've seen him score a lot of goals doing that. Uh, so I think it's just knowing your players and using them in the best situation for each individual player. I mean, just while we've got Grady there, Pete, one thing that I do want to flag with him that I I don't I'm not prepared to accept from him is um, we I, I, after the Huddersfield game, I was I was quite critical of him because I felt like he didn't get out to a short corner quick enough, which uh, which, which saw Huddersfield score their first goal, and I felt we saw that a number of times yesterday. Uh, I don't know whether it's a tactical thing or or or, or not, but it, it just seems to worry me a little bit that he he's not alive to those situations. Yeah, I think that's uh, fair to say. We definitely saw it against. Huddersfield earlier in the season and saw it yesterday as well. Would struggle to piece together how it would be a tactical decision, but obviously the Corbran creating the tactics is much smarter than me. So, you know, maybe it's something that I'm just not understanding. But yeah, when I say a tactical decision, what I mean is when they when they set up and clearly the short corner was on. It wasn't like they they got as close to the man who was available as possible. They were very much halfway in between being able to defend come short and defend the near post and be able to get out to the man and to my eyes just this this is this is a very lay person view Pete it looked like they weren't able to do either effectively yeah I think potentially just trying to find the middle balance but whether you're better off committing to one and kind of ignoring the other going to protect that short corner rather than protecting that near post might be a, a better idea but then it's also something you should probably adapt to in game if it's regularly happening and they're clearly using the short corner then and it's you know generating success to them for them then you're best off trying to find a solution to to stop yeah. that happening in the first and then, place and then maybe the players should see that when after the first goal happens yeah it's not necessarily on the manager to sort out i'm sure there's 
he's given responsibility to the players to obviously there'll be an initial setup for defending corners, but if they see something in game, then I'm sure they've got this responsibility and the knowledge to slightly adapt the initial setup to prevent Chesterfield from regularly creating chances in a, a kind of repetitive way. And just while we're on the attitude of players towards yesterday's game, just one more that I want to highlight a little bit. And I, I, I do wonder whether we are going to end up a little bit, you know, frustrated. I, I, I don't want to say tearing our hair out because to be honest, Pete, I'm getting a bit of a Zinedine Zidane thing going on, as we've mentioned before here. And, and frankly, I don't need to be tearing anything out because that's, you know, that could cost me in the long run. But I, I feel like Tom Rogic is going to end up being something of a, an anomaly, a frustration at times. And I wasn't necessarily surprised to see him hooked at half time against Chesterfield. I did feel, it, 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 again, similar to Grant, he's got an assist under his belt for a brilliant ball through for Grant. Yet when, when, when the game got a little bit spicy in the middle of the park, Tom Rogic just goes missing. And the, it, the same was very much true at Coventry in the last game that we lost. I would talk about it like we lost against Chesterfield. We obviously didn't, but near as damn it. And I do wonder with, with Tom Rogic, Pete, whether, and I think, I think Celtic fans said a lot of this to us when we signed him, that he, he is mercurial. I mean, ability wise, he's probably, he's probably there or thereabouts with Swift and Wallace as our highest ability players, Swift, Wallace and Dean Garner, in terms of what they can do with a football, he's got to be one of our top ones. In fact, he's probably one of the top ones in the division. Is he going to really put himself about in games? No, I don't think so. And I think Corbran, I think probably one of his biggest headaches for as long as he's West Brom manager and for as long as Tom Rogic is fit and available to him is going to be what are the right games for Tom Rogic? Because as we saw against, for example, Rotherham, you put him into the right game and, oh my goodness me, does he just look a cut above everybody else and just dominates the game, just like pulls the strings. But yet you put him into the wrong sort of game, like Coventry, like I think yesterday became for him quite quickly. And I think he hides Pete, is my personal opinion. I've been trying to think about what kind of game and what position and what sort of system best suits him. And I think it's, it is quite a difficult one because he, as you say, he doesn't like to get involved in games that are very of an aggressive nature, lots of challenges and battling for balls. He, that's not his game. He, he does seem to hide with that and doesn't, you know, pull out, he might pull out of a 50 50, but on the ball, he's obviously very good. But even in the games where he has shown that he's, really good um he doesn't complete that many pa- well doesn't attempt or complete that many passes doesn't attempt that many passes i should say he completes them at a very good rate but yeah so he he maybe doesn't get involved as much as i'd like because when he does get involved he can be excellent um i think he does look best when he's got with his passing he's got space to play in behind we saw that against rotherham we saw it against chesterfield those kind of three balls he's very good at finding and weighting them um so is he a match winner, but a bit of a luxury at the same time? Yeah, I think maybe. Um, at the minute, he wouldn't be in my starting eleven for our, our best eleven, if you like. Um, I don't would you would you him. have him anywhere near the team for Luton and Burnley? Let's put it that way. Uh, well, it'd be on the bench, but I don't think he'd 
I don't yeah, think yeah, I'd yeah. Of course. Him. I mean, in in the start, I mean, in the starting eleven, is he too much of a, almost a little bit of a, too much of a liability for those kind of games? Yeah, I think so because Swift's got um, a similar level of ability with the ball, but he does do a bit more a defensively, and B he wants to get on the ball more, and you know he goes looking for it and options for teammates and supports. Uh, Matt Phillips in wide areas and Townsend and creates those overloads, and he looks like he wants to influence a game more especially against Reading he really seemed to want to get one back on them but just in general he seems to want to be on the ball a bit more I think I might have said it before but Rogic kind of strolls around in a similar way to what Messi does and obviously they've got both got great ability relative to the standard they're playing at but if he you feel like if he really wanted to he could impact the game a lot more if he just maybe moved around a bit more and demanded the ball a bit more you feel like if he wanted to he could be playing at a much higher level yeah, that's that's the thing. Um, so I don't know if that's just always been his game or if he's kind of just comfortable playing um, in the championship. And he's, yeah, I, d- I don't know. He's, it's a tricky one at the minute because the ability is obviously there. It's just finding the right situation to get the most out of it and use him in yeah, the best way. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never met the fella, but, I, but uh, you know, players that I've worked with in the past, I'm not going to name any names here, but... Sometimes you do come across quite laid back personalities and you and and you just see coaches and managers thinking, oh, my goodness, if I could if I could stick a rocket up your backside and just get you to harness that talent. I feel like he's one of them. As I say, I don't know him personally, Pete, but but when when you watch him play, you get that feeling that whilst his laid back nature is in some respects a real strength in that he's calm on the ball. He just, it, he just sees the bigger picture at times. It, there's just not the same, the same level of aggression to his game. He's definitely very laid back. Well, on a football pitch, at least, as you said, we don't know him, but yeah, it's, it has got its pos- positives, but it also means you're not suited to some games. If the, there's going to be a game where it's really high intensity in the middle of the park and there's going to be a lot of challenges flying in, you're going to need to get stuck in, which we'll definitely have games like that this season. Then it seems like a difficult game to, if I think you'd have to be carrying Rogic. You'd have to find a way to play where you're not, you don't need 11 man, 11 men to do their defensive work where you can kind of give them a bit of leeway to, to not be too involved defensively. But as long as he's finding the space and doing the work with the ball, then it kind of makes up for it. So it's, I think, yeah, it's going to be a task for, Corbrand to find a way to get the best out of him or maybe just getting a bit more from him in games, a bit more aggression, try to maybe reduce how laid back he is on the pitch. But yeah, it'll be it'll be a task for Corbrand, but I don't think he'll be complaining about having such a talented player to work with. No, fair enough. Whilst we're talking about that midfield area, Pete, I just want to give a little nod to Chesterfield, by the way, because as I say, they they were superb yesterday. And as much as we're here to talk about the West Bromwich Albion side of things, you know, you've got to give Chesterfield credit and say they were absolutely outstanding and by no means looked like a team. Uh, to be honest, if you if you told me that they were that they were really a bottom end championship team. If it, you know, if if I came into that game watching that game with zero context, and you told me I was watching a, a, a bottom end championship team, I wouldn't have questioned you. I, I and I think there was a few performances that typified that. Dobra, obviously, who's got the two goals, and I mean, the way he takes the second one with the touch, and then to hit it on the volley, 
into the back of the net. I think he's absolutely unbelievable. To be honest, the way he takes the the way he takes the first with that cut back to him, that's not an easy finish either. I think those are the sorts of ones that can look easy, but aren't. And I also just wanted to highlight Akinola in the in the middle of the park, the number four, who's on loan from Arsenal and. There's no way he, if that performance is anything to go by, there is no way that that lad is playing non-league football for very long. I mean, I have to say, if I was, if I was, I don't want to say if I was Ian Pierce because, to be honest, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily want to be. I'd like to be a bit better at my job than Ian Pierce is. But if I was somebody in recruitment at the Albion, having watched that game yesterday, I would have, I probably would have noted down Tim Akinola's name on a notepad somewhere. I'd probably have probably noted down Dobrids as well, because as we've seen, not least with Corbram picking up the likes of Sorba Thomas in the past, there are gems to be had from non-league Pete. And I have to say, like, you, you, I mean, we like to highlight these things. We've highlighted, we've highlighted a couple of goalkeepers as we've gone through this season with Johansson at Rotherham with Freddie Woodman, um, uh, at Preston North End, uh, we we spoke about Jacob Greaves uh, at Hull last season, and I, I think one thing about playing football matches, especially in the FA Cup against teams further down the the league pyramid, to you is it is a scouting opportunity as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, would as a club, we'd already be aware of kind of players that might be worth looking at, and people potentially like Akinola. Yeah, I think. If he's someone that is worth looking at, we should really know the name and know of him. Probably already looked at him because after Brexit, recruiting domestically is obviously extremely important. And that comes through looking down the leagues as well as looking into academy football, which we've already spoken about recently. Um, and you kind of need to know, you should you should know of the players that are w- worth looking at, um, whether that be through looking through the data and picking them out through there and then then you can assign your scouts to go and look at them in person and see see what they look like. Well, they're both 21, those two that I've just mentioned as well, Pete, which inevitably means they're going to get better. Um, and and I'm sure, because uh, interestingly, a Chesterfield fan tweeted me last night saying the worst thing about uh, about the, today's game was that we've highlighted some of our more talented players whilst the transfer window is open. And I do get that. I mean, obviously, Akinola being on loan is less of a worry for them, but Dobra is something of a concern because, you know, somebody might come in and try to take them whilst they're having a promotion push. But you've got players there that are 21. OK, they're playing at a few levels below where we would want them to be. But as we've just seen with Brandon Thomas Asante, there's nothing to say that you can't pick up a young man and with good coaching and good instruction, turn them into something really, really quite impressive. I would be very, very shocked if, um, I mean, Akinola's obviously probably going to go back to Arsenal at the end of this season and will probably end up going back out on loan to a higher level. That's a certain level of inevitability. But Armando Dobra, I would be very, very shocked, whatever happens with Chesterfield this this season, if somebody minimum top-end League One, possibly even someone in the Championship, doesn't come and try and buy him in the summer. Yeah, and we should be, like I say, we should be aware of these players and if we, we should be potentially having a good look at Akinola and, and seeing whether we think he's ready for the step up. Because obviously, again, we should have, looking forward to next season, we should have a couple of plans of what we're going to do based on what division we're in. And if we are in the championship, then maybe look and see and judge him whether we think he is ready for a low move to the championship. Um, obviously not exclusively to Akinola, but to 
to any young player that's on loan um, in the divisions below us this season. We should probably be judging them and making that judgment whether they'll be ready for the step up to the championship next season. Um, and if we are in the championship, then probably think about making a move. Um, so it's, yeah, you've got to be aware of the players and keeping an eye on them with scouts and everything and be ready to make a move depending on where you are. There's no use being, I think there's a couple of deals last summer that we were just too late on to, to make a move and they didn't go over the line. I think Keenan Davis was a good example and there might have been a couple of others as well. Well, to Heath Chong as well, I hear. I, I, I hear we got involved in that very, very late and Chong, much to his credit, and again, this could be wrong because this is just what I hear on the football grapevine. So please don't, as I always say, please don't take this as gospel. Just take it as the the, the rumours that I hear. The rumour that I hear is that we got involved in Chong quite late, actually did offer him more money than Birmingham were offering him. But Chong's response was, I've given my word to Birmingham and my word is my bond. Um and and the, the and the problem is with with players as much as people think that players are heavily money driven i don't think they are as uh, again i've worked with players a lot over the years i don't think players are as money driven as people think they are i think agents are heavily money driven and would like their 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 client to go where the most money is because they get the greatest percentage in that scenario but i actually think players i think most players want to feel loved you know you've got to ask yourself why does why does Harry Kane stay at Tottenham when he's outgrown that football club and has outgrown it so so many so many years ago? Why you know why did Matt Letizia stay at Southampton? Why did Alan Shearer stay at Newcastle? I'm not saying these players are badly paid, by the way, they're not, but they could have gone elsewhere and won other things. But they love feeling loved. Players love feeling adored, feeling a bond with a club, a connection with uh, with clubs. And if you are the club riding in at the last minute, going here, here's a load of money on the table, the player's going to go. Do you really want me? Because these guys have been like courting me for months, and you've just come in at the last minute and tried to blow them out the water with a sum of money. That doesn't feel like that. You've really thought about how do I fit into your team? What what's my future? What's my my next three years look like at at, at your football club? Genuinely, players want to know these things, and and I I think that's where we're getting a lot wrong at the moment, Pete. Yeah, and going back to being slow in the market, I think even um, Brandon Thomas Sante was heavily linked to. I think it was Birmingham City again before we went in to get him. Um, so there needs to be the plan, and like you say, I think players want to see a plan because they need to feel um, loved, but also they need to know that there's um, that their career is not going to stall by moving to a club. If you go to a club and there's no plan for you in particular, and you know you just, you're not going to progress in terms of you're not going to develop and you're not going to progress, and yeah, you could end up being in the same club not playing that much in two years' time, rather than going to a club that's got a clear plan set out how they're going to use you, kind of style that they want to play and where they want to be in the next few years. You know that there's a plan that's being worked to and that you're part of that and that in two or three years' time, you'll likely be in a better place, whether that be a club that's developed themselves and maybe um, got promotion, uh, is securing a, a higher division or just being given the opportunity to show your ability and being developed by the coaches and then you get a move yourself as a player to a, a bigger club and your career progresses so 
yeah, I think there's so much planning that needs to be done to both spot the players, get in there in time, and then also attract them to the football club. Last summer, there seemed to be a couple of deals that stalled because maybe we weren't proactive enough in some of those some of those aspects just mentioned. Yeah, and uh, and the other thing is, if you can spot these younger players, Pete, what it can give you, it, because they, they generally come in a little bit cheaper, is it can give you a bit more depth and in the squad. And I think what the game against Chesterfield highlighted a little bit is that we do lack that depth. We've we've said all season we've got one of, if not the best starting 11s in in the championship, without a shadow of a doubt. But once you start scratching below that surface, you are struggling a little bit. And you look at certain areas yesterday. I mean, the, the one that I, I, I largely highlighted was fullback. First of all, you've got Taylor Gardner Hickman at right back. I thought he had an awful game. He's okay going forward, but defensively as a fullback, he's not good enough. He is, for, to my eyes, an excellent central midfielder, but he's not a right back. He's just not a right back. And I've, I honestly can't think of a good game that he's had. At right back, maybe Sheffield United in the League Cup, he was he was all right to be uh, to be fair. But generally speaking, I think I think we're talking ninety percent of the games I've seen Taylor Gardner Hickman play at right back. I think he's been poor. Whereas ninety percent of the games I've seen him play in central midfield, I think he's been excellent. So to me, that tells me a very simple thing: Taylor Gardner Hickman is a centre mid, not a right back. And then on the other side, Zach Ashworth. And I did, I put a tweet out about this at half time. And I think some people took it as me getting on at Zach Ashworth. Believe me, that is the last thing I'm doing. But I just don't think Zach's ready yet for, uh, and I think the, the, the kid is crying out. He's, uh, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm never going to get on at a 20 year old kid who's got a handful of senior games under his belt. That would be, that would be ridiculous of me. Because there's only so much you can expect from them. But I think he's just crying out for a loan. And the problem is, due to our lack of depth in the squad that we've had all season, we haven't been able to send Zach out on loan. We haven't been able to send Ethan Ingram out on loan. You know, players that I think are crying out for a loan move, Reyes Cleary, I think could really, really, really benefit from going down the leagues and play some senior football and score some goals and build his confidence, scoring in games that really, really matter. But we can't do it because the squad's so thin, the squad's so threadbare. And you see that against Chesterfield when we have to make a bunch of changes that we nearly get beat by a National League team. And as I say, I like Zach Ashworth, and I think there's a player there. But what you are going to get from having to throw him in once every 10, 11 games or or God forbid if we had a few injuries, have to throw him in for a half a dozen game period where he's not ready for it, is you're going to ruin him. You're going to destroy his confidence because you're going to put him in a situ- into a situation that the kid is just not ready for. And you're going to break him before he's had a chance to become a player. You know, what I like to call Scott, Scott Darton syndrome for anybody who's old enough to understand that reference. And... I, uh, I I I I think that he would benefit so much more from going down the leagues. I mean, Ethan Ingram wasn't even trusted yesterday, largely because the last time he played, he he was he was just so out of his depth against Derby. Zach had to be brought off at half time. I don't see how any of this is doing these kids any good. I would much rather see them go out on loan, which is where we need a bit more a bit more depth to the squad, Pete, because. We're seeing how Caleb Taylor is developing from his time at Cheltenham, how 
Josh Griffiths spending a couple of seasons out on loan is is doing him a great deal of good. You know, we we could really be developing the likes of Cleary, Ashworth, maybe even Ingram as well if we could send them out on loan. But there's just there's not that possibility. You see how even somebody who looks so far out of their depth when they played in the first um, the, the, the the first team last season, Castro went into Notts County and started scoring goal of the season contenders. So it's amazing what a loan move can do for these players. But I, I I just feel like I'm not getting at Zach Ashworth. I'm really not. I personally, I, if anything, I'm being protective of him because I think putting him into a situation that he's clearly not ready for is going to do him more harm than good, Pete. What do you think? Absolutely. Loan moves for young players are crucial for their development, I think. Um, playing regular football at a senior football as well in games that actually matter I think is always kind of cited as a really important factor because as much as you want games to matter in in youth football I think both coaches and players kind of understand that they aren't they don't mean too much whereas you know when you're playing senior football every game actually matters and promotion and relegation can have a massive impact on a club and the the staff that are working in the club obviously promotion and relegation massively affects budgets of clubs and it affects the lives of people working within the club so I think there's that added pressure and the pressure of having supporters in the ground as well it just it really it's just a much better place for youth players to develop and but it's also like, being a part of a first team dressing room as well Pete which let's be fair they're not really at the at the moment at the Albion it it it, it you you learn to build that camaraderie and be in it for for your colleagues yeah and it's that's just another factor of playing in senior football, which is crucial. And I mean, the earlier you learn it, the the quicker you'll be able to progress to doing it regularly. Um, and it's just, yeah, there's obviously a lot of factors that come into it, but I think players do have to be ready for moving into senior football. I would be surprised if every young player is actually ready for a low move to, to senior football, um, whether that at that level of their development or not. Um, but I'd say players that are on the edge of the first team for well, the edge of maybe the bench slash first team for the Albion, such as Zach Ashworth and Ray's Cleary, are probably not developing as much as they would be developing if they were out on loan to a club in wherever, National League, League Two, League One, whatever standard they're just to be at. Um, I think they'd definitely be benefiting from playing regular senior football um, and Albion would benefit in the future because they'd be closer to being ready for the first team. Just moving inside a little bit, and uh, whilst the, the the two fullbacks were relatively inexperienced, the two centre halves were were very experienced, Pete. Um, but both had extremely poor games for me, and uh, I thought the only t- the only time we really looked stable in the game was when Daro Shea came onto the pitch. Semi, you understand, I, he's barely kicked a ball for four months, and to be honest, you understand it a little bit with with Martin Kelly uh, as well to a certain degree because. It, it, they look like what they are for me against Chesterfield, which is two two players who have not played a lot of football in quite a long time. Obviously, Kelly's lack of football is spread over a much longer period than Semi's is. But then we've also got to remember that Semi was, was frozen out by Ishmael for large chunks of last season as well. I think we will get Semi back to where we need him to be. He was excellent at the start of the season and... I just think it's a matter of time with Semi. He was poor yesterday. There's no doubt in that uh, of that in my mind. 
but I'm not overly worried about Semi Ajayi. I think he will I think he'll get where he needs to be. If you ask me whether I've got the same confidence that we'll ever get Martin Kelly to where he needs to be, I'm not so sure, Pete. What do you think? Well if I remember right, when he first came into the um in the first games that he's played for Albion, he was relatively solid. Um I know that was a while back, but I think I remember that correctly. Uh, but no, he did. He, he had a couple of good games, but then since the Bristol City game, where he made a horrible mistake, ducked under that ball for the second goal, he just seems to have gone to pieces. It's been a while since he's had regular minutes, isn't it? And yeah, I'm, I'm the jury's out for me on on Kelly. Um, we obviously signed him, and he hadn't played for a couple of seasons, I think, due to COVID. Um, and he's obviously towards the end of his career. So, but I, I, when we first signed him, I felt. Similar to him as I did to Eric Peters, but Eric Peters has come in and um, been very impressive, I think, and has slotted into centre back nicely. I'm not sure Kelly has moved into the centre back role as well. Um, it, it's and... not just that though, Pete. I mean, uh, you, uh, as you know, I, I go to my father with, with, with uh, go with my father to most get most games. And yesterday, I turned to him and I said, "What? Why is Kelly constantly taking two touches where he just needs one?" I just felt like you know he's that's where he is at the moment. He's two tu- he's two touches where he needs one. Yeah, and whether that's match sharpness or or just actual sharpness declining with age, um, I think it was probably always going to be a risk signing a player that's I believe he's thirty six. I think and um, obviously haven't played for a couple of seasons. It was it was always going to be a risk. I think Bruce wanted wanted experience and maybe didn't have too many other people on the shortlist, but. And needed it cheap, so. But I th- yeah, just I just as a man who's a few weeks away from his fortieth birthday, Pete, I've got to I've got to defend somebody on their actual age. He's thirty two, so uh, I've got to shave those four years back off him for him. Thirty two. Well, okay, I'm very far off there. I don't know. Maybe it's the fact that he haven't played for a couple of years and hadn't seen him makes me think he's older than he is. But um, yeah, so he's still still of a relatively good age for a centre-back if he's moving into centre-back permanently. But I suppose the question is, Pete, when you've missed that much football in your early 30s, can you ever get your body back and your mind back to where it needs to be? Yeah, that's probably the where the issue lies is when centre-backs... Because it's, it's Dwight Gale. We had this conversation about Dwight Gale in the summer. Is it exactly the same conversation as we had about Dwight Gale? Yeah, probably. And I think, especially with centre-backs, they can easily go into you know their, their mid mid thirties we saw with Gareth McCauley, you know, however long ago that was, but he was just getting better with each year he played. But the majority can play at thirty two quite comfortably, I'd say, and it might just be a case of the regular your your average centre back that's playing at that age has been playing consistently for the past four or five years. They've probably only missed a couple of games, whereas Martin Kelly's obviously missed I think it was like two seasons that he was kind of out for during COVID and, and hasn't had that same consistency and yeah, whether he's whether it's just missing that or you know that have an effect on how much he he's desperate to play at this level. I don't know, but he's it doesn't seem to have been the transfer doesn't seem to have worked out as well as we may have hoped at the start. Does it also not help those centre halves that they probably don't have an awful lot of confidence in the guy behind them? Um, I, you know, I'm not. We've we, we've bashed David Button on this pod before, and actually, I, I, I you know, I'm, I, I think you and I differ on the third goal, and I think he could do better with it. But and you you don't. But equally, I, I accept the fact that he hasn't done an awful lot wrong for the first two goals. 
However, there was moments yesterday where he made some horrible mistakes. Again, largely similar to Kelly, taking a t- more touches than he needed to when the ball was at his feet and nearly costing us. I have to say, Pete, every time I see David Butler, and, and genuinely, again, it can't be a coincidence that in nine games of Alex Palmer, he's conceded, um, he, he's conceded t- two goals, neither of which were from open play. And suddenly David Button goes in nets and we concede three. I just can't see how we will achieve anything if for any sustained period of this season, we have to play David Button. And I think we've got a big decision to make this this window as to whether the right thing to do is to bring Josh Griffiths back from from loan or whether with what little money we might have underneath the sofa cushions at the Hawthorns, we see if there's a young Premier League goalkeeper who's not getting any football, but you know is probably more talented than Button, that we stick on our benches back up to Palmer. What do you think? I I personally don't want to see. Uh, uh, look, I, I know I, I know certain people joke about. I have an anti-button agenda. It's not that. I just I have a pro West Bromwich Albion agenda, and I, and I just don't see how we win football matches with that guy in goal. I think the trouble with potentially recalling Josh Griffiths, Josh Griffiths, is that we um well just what we've spoken about before is that these young players do need time in senior squads and getting regular minutes, and he's regularly playing at Portsmouth. Um, and if he came back, then. I assume he would be second choice to Alex Palmer. So I think we're best off leaving him where he is, keeping those minutes ticking over and, and allowing him to develop playing senior football, not just being around a senior squad, but actually getting minutes on the pitch. Because um, I think Griffith, Griffiths is best left where he is. Um, well, especially as if we recall him, Pete, you're going to have to say his name more regularly, which seems to be a problem for you. <laughs> I'm struggling with it big time. I'll just call him Josh from now on. Um, <laughs> yeah, first name basis. Yeah, but with Button, he um he's obviously been struggling. Um and I think it's probably it probably is to do with confidence as well as ability. I, I don't believe he's as bad a keeper as we've seen for the whole season, but his confidence must just be on the floor and it can't help with a goalkeeper and it can't help the defenders playing in front of him as well because they know that um he's he's not really as confident as he should be and he's letting shots in that he probably shouldn't be. Talking about the third goal, I think it was quite difficult for him because I think it was it was a powerful shot and where wherever he did palm it out to, there was a, a player if he palmed it towards the back post there was a Chessfield player coming in relatively unmarked and the player that he did palm it to was completely unmarked. Um and I think you've kind And of it is a what... wonderful first touch and then finish from Dobra as well, we've got to say. Yeah, exactly. I think I think with situations like that, maybe you say button should catch it, but it was a very powerful shot and to be honest, you don't see that many keepers catching balls like that anymore. Um, I assume it's something that's been taught by coaches and there must be good reason for it. And I'm not going to pretend to be a goalkeeper expert. Um, so yeah, I think it's more about palming it into the least dangerous area possible, but I don't think there was a least dangerous area there. You've probably got to look at the defenders and, and ask why there was no one following up the shot and no one near the, the Chesterfield players that were ready to follow up the shot and put it into what was basically an empty net. Just a couple of things to finish up on. First of all, Pete, and just very briefly on this one, but 
I do just want to stick up for Jake Livermore a tiny little bit because I've seen his name getting lumped in with others who had poor games. And as I say, you know, we've defended Grady Dean Garner before on this podcast, but I'm not going to shy away from the fact that he was, he was awful yesterday. As I say, I think the fullbacks had difficult days. I think the centre halves had difficult days. I think Rogic beyond the, the early assist had a poor game. But I've seen Livermore's name getting mentioned in dispatches alongside those who who were who were substandard yesterday. And whilst Jake is Jake and he is slow and he does slow us down because he is what he is, I don't think you can criticise Jake Livermore for being what he is. And actually, when you look at his data, he won the tackles that you'd expect him to. He he had the highest pass completion rate of anybody in the West Bromwich Albion team who who actually played more than uh, more than sixty minutes. So. I don't understand how we can how we can get on at Jake Livermore. I I actually thought he was one of the few that came out. Well, whilst I don't want to, this is not me making a case for Jake Livermore to start league games because I just think he's too slow and I think he slows us down. That's not his fault. If you pick Jake Livermore, you accept that. And I think he was one of the few that came out of it with any reasonable credit out of the starting eleven yesterday. Yeah. He- Kind of just did the as you'd expect he would with the ball. Um, in general, it was relatively simple. Move the ball along the back line quite well, and played quite played a couple of nice long diagonal balls that he he does fairly often. Um, like you say, his pass completion was about ninety percent. He completed five progressive passes out of six, so pretty good in on that front as well. Um, which is something that you maybe wouldn't always expect from Jake Livermore. Um, and yeah, he kind of. Was I'd say he was steady. Um, he's never going to be Jason Mullumby anymore. He's not going to be legging it around the pitch and you know making tackles in one box and sprinting back to the next box and doing just covering the whole ground. But I don't think he had a terrible game. Now I think he was he was okay. He was average. Um, his passing was pretty good. He was pretty secure and like I say, a couple of progressive passes. Um, and I say any big criticism of him is is probably unfair and unwarranted yeah <laughs> an average probably puts him above most uh for the game against Chesterfield just last thing to finish on Pete very briefly um obviously uh, for me the best uh, the best performance out of that starting 11 was was undoubtedly Brandon Thomas Asante excellent again four shots four on target just a, a big big threat all the way through the game but there is a real concern for anybody who's watched match of the day last night that we might lose him for a period of time. Danny Murphy making it very clear that he felt Brandon Thomas Asante might receive retrospective action for what was described as an elbow um, on King ahead of our equaliser. Now I'm just going to give my take on it. I, what, what that would be classed as if Brandon gets a ban is violent conduct. Now my question is this, how can that be violent conduct? Because violence requires a state of mind. It requires somebody to be thinking in a violent fashion. You look at that. The lad is pulling Brandon's shirt. And what he does is he shrug, he throws his arm backwards to try and shrug the guy off from, from fouling him, to stop him fouling him so that he can be free of him. I, he never looks behind him. He has no idea. He's feeling a hand on his shirt. He has no idea of where exactly in relation to himself that player is. The idea that Brandon is intentionally trying to elbow him in the head is ludicrous to me. I think all he's trying to do is one way or another, get the guy to let go of his shirt by shrugging him off. 
He is not trying to do a violent action. Should it be a foul? Yes, 100%. Should it possibly be a booking? Yeah, I think it quite possibly should because he because he is he is made an action that could in some circumstance endanger an opponent. But then so could most so could most actions on a football pitch. Is he is he committing violent conduct? I.e. is he outrightly trying to hurt an opponent? No. Not in a million years in my mind. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, I'm kind of on the same boat. I wouldn't be too surprised if it was looked at by the FA. And, and I think it a... definitely will be, as Match of the Day highlighted it. Yes, yeah, so I wouldn't be too surprised if there was a ban. But yeah, when you've got your, somebody pulling your shirt back and you're trying to run, I think the obvious action you do is to try and push them off you and like release their grip on your shirt so you can actually run through. Which And when somebody's behind you, it's not like you, you can't push put your whole arm behind you because who has that level of flexibility the part of your arm that is going to go behind you is 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 basically you, you from your shoulder down to your elbow that's what's going to go backwards isn't it yeah it was kind of just like a flailing arm if you like and it was i'd say unfortunate that it caught him round the round the neck round the face whatever it was and yeah I, to me it didn't look in, intentional to hurt the opponent it was just a case of trying to get him off him when he was making a run and having his shirt pulled so I think Thomas Santi could feel a bit feel like it was a bit unfair if it is given a ban for it. But it's all, as a player, you're always at risk when you when you do use your arms to you know push someone off and make a sharp movement like that. Like I say, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think he, I don't think it was intentional to hurt the player. I think it was purely just trying to get himself the space to actually be able to make a run without when his shirt pulled. But and we talked about this off air, didn't we, Pete? I, I feel like too often refereeing or post-game refereeing is done with results bias, i.e. on what happened next. So the fact that Brandon's elbow does make contact with the player doesn't make it violent conduct. You can hit somebody with your elbow accidentally, and I believe that's what happens here. But also the fact that then seconds later, Brandon goes and scores with that player off the pitch. I don't think any of those things should should factor into both the analysis of the incident and also how it is looked at by a panel, if indeed it is looked at by a panel. But I've got a funny feeling they will come into it. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one because it shouldn't have anything to do with it. It's like if a player goes in with a horrible tackle that's like knee height and studs up, but doesn't actually catch the player, then it's still a reckless challenge and should be considered in that way rather than considered to the fact that the player's not actually been touched and yeah. so therefore and, isn't and then hurt. less dangerous tackles where the player ends up getting horribly injured are more likely to be punished with a red. Yeah, precisely. So it's it should be a case of refereeing what the player committing the offence has done rather than how the player that has been on the receiving end of it ends up. And similar in the way for Thomas Sante that he went and scored the winning goal which has, you know, zero influence on the potential offence that he did commit. You know, him it's the only thing is that if he had been sent off, obviously he wouldn't have been there, but it's got nothing to do with the actual offence. So it shouldn't be used to make a judgment on whether it should lead to a potential ban or not. Absolutely. Well, look, we'll leave it there for to for today. Um, and we will be back after the Luton game. 
at the weekend, which we really, really hope Brandon Thomas Asante is available for. But we will wait and see. Probably by the time you're listening to this, you will know a lot more about that situation than we do at this moment in time, as I say, recording at um, just before six o'clock on um, uh, on Sunday evening, because uh, generally speaking, the FA tend to look at these things on a Monday morning. So I think we will know much, much more tomorrow on that particular incident. Thank you for listening. Uh, And we look forward to speaking to you again after the Luton game. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book? and do some sharing of your own with the McNugget share box. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.